I wish that they would have contacted my adopted parents to take her so we could have been together. One of my cousins, like I told you, there's several of us that are adopted. That actually happened. And there's two siblings that are adopted in my aunt and uncle's home. And they placed them together. And I wish that they would have placed us together. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and you're about to meet Lori, who called me from Washington State. Lori grew up as an emotional child, crying frequently, but no one ever asked what was wrong. When Lori's adoptive sister was found by her birth mother, Lori was shocked at how much they looked alike, and it ignited her desire to search. In reunion, Lori's birth mother was very open with every question Lori asked, but she retained a big secret to the one question Lori never asked. In her paternal reunion, Lori encountered mistaken identity, the glow of a honeymoon period, and the emotional downturn of the discovery of her birth father's character. This is Lori's journey. Lori grew up in what she described as a very homogenous white community with very little racial diversity. She has two older adopted siblings, and in her family, Lori has lots of aunts and uncles, many of whom had also adopted children. So when we go to family reunions, I always felt better at those because I didn't feel so alone, like there were many of us. But then at the same time, there were the adopted grandchildren and the non-adopted grandchildren. And an aunt that I really loved, she said a comment once that was interesting. She would say, oh, the, the adopted grandkids, they're all thin and tall. Look at that. And look at the ones that aren't adopted. We're all chubbier. And I just felt like that separated us a little bit more. I know she didn't really mean anything by that, but I I never liked to be pointed out, you know, and like the adoptees and versus the non-adoptees. It always made me feel. Yeah, the versus Um, is really tough. Yeah, that's a really good point. Interesting. Yeah. Other than that, I was a kid that cried all the time. And it took me until like five years ago to figure out why. I was that kid that was always crying. My older brother would constantly say, you're such a baby, you cry all the time. Why are you crying? I would cry at school just for no reason. I would cry at home, no real reason. And, you know, as I learn more about adoption and trauma, I I feel like I was a kid in, in trauma. In fact, in oh, starting in junior high, I started to get a lot of anxiety and I didn't know anything about anxiety and our, the family I grew up in didn't really talk a lot about mental illness or anything like that. That was kind of a hush-hush thing. Other people have that. We don't have that. And I started pulling out my eyelashes just randomly. It just started. And that went on for a few years and my friends noticed it. They'd be like, what, why are you doing that? That's so weird. Why are you doing that? 
I didn't know why I was doing that. No one would help me figure out why I was crying all the time, why I was hurting myself. Like I said, just a few years ago, I, I've discovered why these things were happening. It all points to adoption. Yeah. What, 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 was the, what was the discovery for you? What did you, how did you put it together? When I started searching and I always knew I was going to search because as a young kid, I was always looking into faces of people, always looking at families, my friends' family. Look how you look like this person. Isn't that so cool? How you look like your sister or you look like your mother. I needed to find out where I came from. It was an absolute 100% that I wasn't going to be satisfied. I wasn't going to get better until I knew where I came from. And so when I was about 21, I was pregnant. I'm like, I need to know some health history too. So I went actually to the court. I tried to open my own records. I sat in front of a judge across from his desk. He opens my file and says, you have a pretty cool file here. It sure is interesting, but I can't give you any information at all. And I'm like, well, why can't you? That's right there in front of you is my life. Why can't I know my life? And he was like, I'm sorry, these records are sealed. You're going to have to get somebody to open them. You have to have a third party. Mm -hmm. And um, so, of course, you know how that works. I always hate to hear about those moments of entitled knowledge withholding on the part of people who can see and adopt these records but won't share the information. Like Lori said, the info the judge had was about her, and she should have a right to it. But I needed to ask Lori to go back so we can understand her family dynamic better. Lori's siblings were adopted like herself. Lori's brother was four years older, and her sister was two and a half years older. Then there was Lori. She said her brother was super friendly, and Lori was always seeking attention. So whatever he was doing from playing with Matchbox cars to playing outside, she was usually right there with him. Lori wanted attention from her sister, but the young lady was very unfriendly. Still is, and they don't have a relationship to this day. Lori suspects her adoptive mother wanted the girls to be friends, but their relationship didn't work out that way at all. I was the little sister that wanted that attention from her. She was super smart, and I always thought she was super pretty, and I just really wanted her attention. She always had the fabulous, expensive makeup. And so one day, I remember I went down and used her makeup, and she came upstairs and she took my cereal and dumped it over my head. So, I mean, she was never one to be so friendly and she scared me often. And maybe that's another reason for a lot of my anxiety that I never knew what she was going to do next. She's not even well today as an adult. She's caused a lot of family problems and that's why there's just no relationship there anymore. She's stolen money and she's used our mother as a pawn on things and our elderly mother is still alive. So it's just nothing that I want anything to do with her. So do you, the same way that you connected your own adoption trauma to the pain you were inflicting on yourself as a child, do you see her behavior her attitude in life as being reflective of her as an adoptee as well? I actually think that is true. I've thought that through. She had a lot to deal with us 
she was turning 16, her birth mother found her. Her birth mother actually convinced somebody to open records. And all of a sudden, her birth mother was on her front steps and wanting a relationship with her. And I think that was confusing for her. And things seemed to really escalate after that. Our adoptive parents were very supportive and let her decide if she wanted to have that relationship or not. She was really struggling with, with school. Even though she was super bright, she didn't want to be at school. And she actually moved to Alaska with her birth mother to finish school up there. Wow. So I think it's a real possibility that she too had a lot of trauma around her adoption, though I don't, I don't know if she would ever discuss that. Like I said, she just doesn't express things at all. She's just very quiet. Yeah, she but, sounds like she would have a hard time admitting it. She, it, I don't know her, and it sounds like right. she's a very prickly person and sort of challenging to get close to. So I would imagine then that it might also be challenging to get her to open up about this in a non-sort of therapeutic setting conversationally between you she would probably put it put her arms up and and keep you at arm's length but if she had chosen to go into therapy it's possible that maybe this could be a part of the discovery of their conversation i don't know but yeah, yeah. that's really interesting may, may i ask yeah. so you said her mother was at your front door did you mean that literally yeah mm -hmm. wow. she well she first wrote a letter to her and that was just kind of a shock to her. And then she came over. What's really funny is that I've met her and she is the nicest lady. And she told us her story. She didn't want to give her, her daughter up for adoption. Her mother made her give her daughter up for adoption. It was a sad story listening to her. And she's frustrated on how her daughter turned out. And she shared with me, she blames my adopted parents on how my sister turned out. So that's a, another story. It's, it all weaves together though. I, you know, you have had shows about biological mothers on your show. And I felt sorry for her when you were talking about that on one of your shows, I was really thinking of this lady, her name's Barbara, and I was really sad for her because they're in pain too mm -hmm. you know so much trauma to all sides yeah absolutely mm -hmm. i have learned so much about the trauma that birth mothers have endured over time not just mm -hmm. you know i mean it's an ongoing thing i just i can't even imagine conceiving and carrying a child and then not raising that child and wondering where they are in the world even if the trauma that you went through that may have forced a woman into an adoption plan. It, mm -hmm. it, I just, it, you know, I feel like they try to put it behind themselves because it was so traumatic, but I just can't even conceive of how you ever get over that. And, and I'm trying to be very mindful and respectful of the trauma that preceded our own as adoptees. Right. I just, exactly. Really tough. Mm. And, I, I actually got a little jealous about that just because my sister's birth mother opened up to me about that, yet my own birth mother has never opened up 
about that with me. And so I was a little bit jealous. Why doesn't my birth mother express those feelings? I don't even know how she feels about all this. She's a little bit more hesitant to share all all that's happened in her past. Mm -hmm. Have you told her, out of curiosity, have you told her that you know what birth mothers have gone through, like to sort of open the door for that kind of conversation? You know, I, I haven't. I feel like when I talk with her, when I'm around her, I'm kind of on eggshells because one time I was visiting her. She lives in Idaho and she lives in a very small community there and where everybody knows everybody. And one day we were at this little shop and somebody came up to us, one of her friends, and said, who's this? This, is, this must be a relative. She looks just like you. Who is this? And she says, oh, this isn't a relative. This is just a friend. And I immediately was like, whoa, wait, I'm not just a friend. You know, what is this what we're going to do? Is this what we're going to tell people? Or We never had that conversation before. But she did tell me before she just can't tell people in her small community because people won't understand and they'll judge her. And I'm like, all right. So I don't ask too many questions. She's more hesitant to talk about things, though. I don't know if I told you that she had given away another baby after me, wow. and I didn't know that. She did not tell me that child searched a couple years after I searched, and I got a letter in the mail saying that somebody was looking for relatives, and it was my newfound sister, Trish. And so then I had to call or birth mother and say, hey, did you give up another baby after me? And that was a very difficult conversation. And she's like, yeah, I did. I'm like, why didn't you tell me, you know? And so, again, she's worried about what people are going to think. Laurie was about 14 when her sister's birth mother appeared at their family's door. She said there was excitement and some clarity that came from her sister's birth mother looking for her. While Lori and her adopted siblings could pass for being biological to one another since they were tall in stature with light hair and blue eyes, Lori was amazed at how much her adopted sister and her birth mother mirrored one another so much. Lori was fascinated, but Lori was also wondering why her birth mother wasn't looking for her. I asked Lori to go back to the moment that got her in front of the judge who had access to her records. Lori has said she has always wanted to search, but also she was pregnant and seeking health information. When you go to the doctor and they ask all sorts of those questions, you know, I just put N.A. like I don't know anything. So I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to keep writing that. So that was another reason. But as soon as that judge told me that you have these interesting facts about your family, especially your father, he said, and I was like, what? It's like, yeah, you better find somebody to find your information because this is interesting. And I'm like, okay. So I paid the $450 that I didn't have at the time because I was starting a family and started my search. And it, and it really took me like a week. And they found my birth mother and went through the steps, wrote the letter to her, introduced myself. She actually accepted. I was so happy. I My husband said that when I got the news, the expression on my face, he has never seen before. Like, 
something lit me up and I had this glow that was happening and when we were talking on the phone the first time I spoke with her he says he was just watching and he's like I have never seen you like that before like you're just glowing and and you have this happiness all over you it's amazing and so wow just because things were coming together i suppose mm. i just started to feel whole again i i guess i've never felt whole and i felt like the puzzle pieces were coming together to make me whole mm-hmm. yeah that is a it's a remarkable thing i'll say it over and over again you don't realize that there's a gap that you would like to fill be it with information or connection or whatever until it starts to be filled, you know, right. you, you just, you don't really truly grasp it until the pieces start to come together. As you've said, the puzzle pieces are, are falling into place and then you, you can really start to see the picture and recognize where there are holes. It's a really, it's a fascinating phenomenon that I think very few people can really relate to except for adoptees and their biological parents, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow. So how, how was your first conversation with her? Did you first, did you correspond over email? Did you email, did you send letters back and forth? Tell me about your interaction before you got to the phone call. No, this was back in, what year was it? It was 1992. There, so it was pen and paper first and I wrote a letter to her and then she responded back to the to the third party in writing also saying if she would accept a relationship with me or to meet me or to talk with me and she did and then that third party set up our first conversation which was over the phone and then we got to meet face to face and I would not suggest somebody meeting their birth mother for the first time on their lunch break from work. At the time, I was actually working at the phone company and I took my hour lunch and met her at a restaurant nearby. And you know how it goes. You see her and you're crying and and you're full of all sorts of emotion. And then you have to go back to work. <laughs> Probably not the greatest thing to do. <laughs> I was not very productive that day. So it is hard to pull yourself back together after that. What can be a happy, yeah. ugly cry in reunion? Yeah, it's it's definitely a day off kind of thing. <laughs> right. So, and then we just slowly built a relationship, but again, not knowing our places. She didn't know where her place was. She knew already had a mother. Was she? Did she think she could be included in that? Was I going to be a daughter in her life? That struggle still continues today. Where's our place? I had a bridal shower here last weekend for my daughter and I invited both my mothers and just watching all that, having them in the same place together was very heartwarming for me because in the past I've always been fearful to have them together out of respect for my adopted mother. I've always kind of protected my adopted mother I didn't ever want her to be hurt by my biological mother. So I thought this last time, my adopted mom, she's 88 years old now, and time is passing, and maybe it's not for me to decide how everybody feels. Maybe just let it 
go and let's see what happens. They talked and and maybe it's just been my worry and really not that big of a deal. Yeah. I guess. But it would seem that from your experience, you would be justified in protecting your adopted mother because of the experience that you've had maybe with your sister's biological mother. If I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like you heard from your sister's birth mother that she blamed your adopted mother for how your sister turned out. And therefore, if you have that in the back of your mind, I could see how you would want to protect your own adopted mother from your birth mother, hoping that she would not say the same thing. Is that is the timeline right that you knew this before? I've, and never, I've never thought of it, thought it that way, but I think you might be right. Yeah. That might be something subconscious that I've not thought about. And I think you might have hit on something I have not thought about. So thank you. Yeah. That's true. That could be very true. Yeah. It would seem very natural that you, the sting of hearing your own mother be blamed for someone else's life outcomes would be a reason for you to protect your mom. Yeah. I'm I'm glad we I'm glad we talked yeah. that through. Yeah. Well. That's good. So can you tell me about your lunch with your biological mother? You've taken a you've taken a one hour break. You've shot over to this restaurant to meet her. So you you were mm -hmm. living in the same community such that you could meet up for lunch? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So we met at the Olive Garden, I believe it was. And she was holding some flowers for me, sunflowers, which are actually one of my very favorite flowers. So I was surprised she had those. I grew up in a family that didn't hug much, but I was always a hugger. Like I would hug my friends and I was a very touchy-feely type of person. But in the family I grew up with, you know, they weren't like huggers or touchers or anything like that. So when I saw my birth mother for the first time, she grabbed me and she hugged me so tight. Like I have never been hugged before. Like I I was, wow, this is, this is love. You know, this is, I feel so loved and comforted. Almost like, you know, when you're a baby and you're holding your infant and you're cuddling him so tight, you know, or I felt like I was an infant for the first time being hugged by her. And it was pretty emotional, that tight, really authentic hug she was giving me. And then of course we just sat there and took a long time to order, of course, because we we're just sitting there staring at each other. We looked at each other's hair. I have very fine thin hair and she does too. We talked about our long thin fingers. We were just looking at every body part and comparing and and soon the lunch was over and we both said that we wanted to continue our relationship and that was the day that's incredible wow that the way you described how that hug felt as a person who lived her life hugging people and probably never getting the same kind of really mm -hmm. you know energetic loving hug back to get that for the first time from your birth mother must have just been incredible I love to hear that. Yeah. That's really cool. So let me ask you this. How was it to go back to work? <laughs> well, you know, people want to know. When, when you're adopted and you find your family, it's 
everybody wants to know about it. It's like a fairy tale story, you know, so you go back and all your coworkers are, tell me what happened, you know, tell us the story. So basically there was no more work after we got back. Just, I just sat there and everybody wanted to know all the details. And so I basically had a few more hours of work and I just talked, just talked all about my day and like what led up to it and why I searched. And people always ask, how do you, your adopted parents feel? And, you know, so the day was just talking about the situation and not much work was done. Yeah, I, I can totally relate. I remember when I met my birth mother, you know, we worked only two blocks from each other. And so we met in the middle for lunch and I felt like my feet were hovering above the sidewalk when I walked back to my uh, office. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. I was walking on a cloud for sure. I, it was like, I can't believe this is happening. I feel so fortunate because I know so many don't get this experience and it felt so loved that day and so grateful. That feeling of gratitude and the warmth of a hug that reciprocated Laurie's genuine desire to connect with people was something she hoped would continue. But every relationship has a honeymoon period when they start off positively. However, you heard Laurie say that she and her birth mother have had trouble figuring out what places they hold in one another's lives. I just don't think that she's always been upfront and truthful with me. And so I don't think I'm getting all of her. I feel like she gives me pieces of her, but I don't get to see all of her. And I'm really thankful that I actually have this other sister that was found because we often talk about that. We'll compare some notes and that she's not, she's not giving her all to us. She still holds back. Interesting. What happened that you started to notice the holding back? I remember going to her house and I had just had my, actually my second child. And I was at her house and her daughter she raised was there. And that daughter really was actually upset that this whole thing was happening. Her, because her mom didn't tell her anything about us. And so that was quite the surprise for her, finding out that she has these sisters that her mom gave up for adoption. And in fact, that sister told me she didn't want a relationship with me, really. And she told me that her mom is her mom and not my mom. She was pretty direct with me about that. And uh, I think that maybe that was part of it, that my birth mom was trying to protect her daughter she raised. And so that meant that she couldn't be my mom too. I, I don't know. It just felt not authentic when I was at her house. It just felt like I was holding space and she was trying to be polite for, you know, having me over, but I wasn't really getting the all of her, especially when her daughter was around. I'm sure it's hard on everybody, especially when it's a big surprise like that. But it's, it's changed a little bit through the years. This daughter has actually accepted me now and she's doing better with it because it's been years now. But I think that I thought, think that has a lot to do, do with it. Mm. Yeah, I could see how that would be true. The same way that you were protecting your <laughs> adopted mom from the possibilities, your birth mom was protecting 
her daughter, who was surprised by all this from the possibilities, right? Because your birth mom also didn't know how well this could go or – and she had held the secret for so long. Like it kind of fell on her that she had made the mistake of not revealing this. And I, I maybe I should change the word mistake because I don't know if that's actually fair. I think we think it's a mistake, but I think it's also challenging for the birth mother to ever figure out when is the right time for me to deliver this news. So I don't want to minimize how challenging it is to tell someone that they've got an older sibling out in the world that they haven't known their entire life. So I could see how this would have been really, really, really difficult for her. And to be trapped in the middle, I've known this one daughter that I've raised my entire life. I don't know you. And I could see, right. Lori, how she would have loyalty to the family that she was able to create and be challenged to try to mend fences between you and her daughter when she's in the middle of it. I just, it's, these situations are really, really complex. They're really tough. Mm. Right. I agree. Totally. Laurie said that the sister her birth mother raised has come around quite a bit from where the relationship started. They're respectful to one another, and when there's an event they're both attending, they all visit with one another to check in. We agreed. There are still many years ahead for the sisters, so there's time for the big news of Laurie's existence to settle down and for the women to connect more over time. I was curious about the second half-sister Laurie found. I wanted to know more of the story of where Laurie was in her life and where she was in reunion when that sister found her. She said she was only in reunion for a few years when a third party reached out through the mail to share that someone was looking for her. When Laurie got the letter, she contacted her birth mother to ask what it could be about. She did explain. That is one thing I have to give credit to my birth mother. If I do ask her a question, she does tell me the truth. So she, she told me that she had gotten pregnant about a year later after she gave me up for adoption. And the reason why she gave that baby up for adoption was because the man that she was dating was going off to war, Vietnam War, and she did not know if he was going to come back. So she gave birth and gave that baby up for adoption. And the one thing that I am kind of upset about is that she went through the same agency, Children's Home Society, for the adoption, and I wish that they would have contacted my adopted parents to take her so we could have been together. One of my cousins, like I told you, there are several of us that are adopted. That actually happened, and there's two siblings that are adopted in my aunt and uncle's home, and they placed them together, and I wish that they would have placed us together. So then we would have had some kind of, you know, connection to our DNA, you know, growing right. up together, I would have had somebody that was like me. I think that was a big mistake on both my birth mother and Children's Home Society to not try to place us together. You um, mean by your birth mother not actively requesting that that be the case? Yeah. yeah. Or ask, like, you place them together? Mm -hmm. Oh, that didn't happen. But so it was, I was only two years in reunion. And then when we met, when I met my newfound sister, we became immediately close. It, it was like, oh my gosh, this is such a gift. It was such a gift to have a sister. 
and like I said earlier, the sister I grew up with, I had nothing in common with, no connection there. And now all of a sudden I have this half sister that is so much like me and we're very close still today. And, and she lives about two and a half hours away. So you're trying to get together more and more, but we talk probably once a week on the phone and it was really a godsend to, to have her in my life. So yeah, that's, that, that replacing was, the other older sister thing that you mentioned was really interesting. That connection that you guys have felt that must, I'm excited for you for this relationship. I gotta be honest with you. It sounds so amazing. Mm -hmm. But one thing that is different about her relationship with our birth mother and my relationship with our birth mother is they're completely different. So she went in into this with her children calling our birth mother grandma. And when I met our birth mother, I'm like, no, you're not going to call her grandma. She's not your grandma. Your grandma is your, my adopted mom. Your those are, that's your grandma and grandpa. And so I've never called our birth mother, mother or mom. I call her by her name. My sister calls her mom. And so it's, it's actually a little bit different. She feels more freeing to, to use those terms and I still can't do it. I just still can't use those terms of mom and grandma with my biological family. Why, why do you think that is? I do have a sense of like, you got to earn your titles and you don't just get to have that title and you have to put in the hard work to get those titles. So, you know, who was on my bedside when I was sick at night? Who was there when I was, when I didn't make the, the varsity volleyball team, who, you know, and I was upset, you know, who, who was there for me those, those tough times. And so I don't know if it's just me that, that has to look too deep into things or it should be more like my sister and just go with the flow with it. And you can have more than one mom. <laughs> so she was very close with her adopted mom too. And so she's just like, I have two, I have two moms. I call them both mom. I'm like, okay. Listen, I think both perspectives are right. I fully believe that somebody has to earn the title of mom or dad. And I believe that you're right, that the person who was there in all of the hard moments as well as all of the triumphs and, and helped you earn your own space in this world is mom or dad. And, and it takes a while to let someone else earn that title for me. And, but I, I, I respect where your sister comes from as well. This is your birth mother, right? Like there's no, it's an undeniable biological fact that nobody can argue. So uh, she is also correct in my mind. That is her mom. And if she has it in her heart to call her by that and give her that space, then that's perfectly okay too. I don't think either one is wrong. I just, it's one of those rare things where, you know, you can be on what feels like opposite sides of the same thing and both be absolutely right. So I, I don't stress yourself out about your inability to come to terms with her using the word mom and you not. Don't worry about it. It's, you, yeah. you know, yeah, it's, it's perfectly fine to me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Lori has said more than once that her birth mother has been open and honest whenever she asked her a question. So 
Logically, I wanted to know what her birth mother shared about Lori's birth father. Her birth mother identified him as a man named Chris. Whenever they were together, her birth mother would ask people, doesn't Lori look like Chris? And people would say, yeah, I guess so. But Lori told me she always questioned whether Chris was the right guy. Lori is on the tall side at 5'7", but her birth mother is 5'5", and Chris is just a little taller than that. One day, after her birth mother sought affirmation about Lori's resemblance to Chris from someone they were with, Lori openly questioned their relation, asking, Wasn't he short? And I feel like I'm tall. And she goes, My dad was tall. I'm like, huh, your dad was tall, huh? Okay, well, maybe that's where I get it from. And I kind of just let it go. Later, Lori's husband and her son were having a debate about their ethnicity. Her husband saying he has a lot of German in his heritage, and their son, a huge historian, rebutted with how people moved around a lot, and just because his dad had a lot of relatives in Germany doesn't mean they are of German descent. They could have migrated from somewhere else. Lori suggested they settle the debate with an ancestry DNA test. When their results came back, Lori was kind of jealous about how much they learned about themselves. As an adopted person, she felt like she, out of all of them, deserved to learn more about her heritage than anyone. For Christmas that year, Lori's daughter got her an Ancestry DNA kit too. All of this went down during the pandemic, a time when Lori said she was glad she didn't have to go into work as a school teacher because she got a DNA surprise. None of her DNA was matching up with her alleged birth father, Chris, nor his family. And so there's the search angels. I don't know if you know about the search angels, because I did not know about the search angels. And they are a group of fabulous people, let me tell you, because they reached out to me and said, I let me help you figure this out. And within like two hours, she calls me back and says, there's no way Chris is your birth father. Wow. And I was just like, what? She's well, like, no, you have no ties to him. <laughs> okay. Had had you you had spoken to Chris though? Have you met this person? Uh, so what's very strange about this whole thing with Chris is that remember how I said that I worked at the phone company? Yes. Chris lived in Seattle and I lived in Spokane. And so the phone company that I worked for was moving. They were going to close their Spokane offices and they gave us choices on where we could move if we wanted to move with the company. And for my age, I was making a really good wage and I was talking to my husband about it and his work, he would be able to transfer his job. And so I applied for this job in Seattle through the same phone company and I got the job. And so I started working over there. But Chris's office was right across the street. I mean, Seattle is a very big place. And my office was downtown Seattle. And his office was right across the street. And he would not talk with me because his wife told him that if he had a relationship with me, she would divorce him. And so I was always curious about him, though. And I couldn't stop thinking about him. And this was before I knew that he wasn't my birth father. And so he was a very well-to-do man living in Seattle and working at this firm. And I walked over there and I went to his office and the secretary said, can I help you? And I turned around and I walked out. I couldn't do it. 
I couldn't see him. I couldn't, I couldn't interrupt his life, especially after his wife told him he couldn't have a relationship with me. But another situation happened was his daughter got her hair done from my niece in Seattle. And so all these things were always lining up. I mean, the population in Seattle is so large and I kept getting these dings. I felt like in life, like I'm supposed to figure this out. There was too many coincidences that I was getting into that the universe was telling me something's not right here. You have to figure this out. So I feel like God told me do the DNA test to figure this out because you're not figuring it out any other way. So I really tried to have a relationship with his kids. I tried to have a relationship with him behind the scenes. I sent Christmas cards to his office just to always remind him, I'm here, I'm here. But I feel really bad that I did all that and he's not even my birth father. <laughs> mm -hmm. But that's not your fault. You shouldn't feel too badly about that because you were unfortunately misled. Yeah. And I can't wait to hear so, what your birth mother has to say about this. Yeah, so as all this was going on and the search angel told me what was funny is she said, well, I found out who your birth father is. It's either one of the two brothers. And I'm like, well, how do I know which brother it is? And she told me the ages of them. I said, well, I'm pretty sure it's the going to be the, the one that was 18, not the one that was 15. And she goes, you never know because I've been doing this for a long time and you never know. <laughs> so... You're going to have to ask Donna. You're going to have to ask her. And so I called her up and guess, again, I'm super emotional and I'm, I'm working too online with kids, luckily. So they couldn't really see my stress about all this, but I called her up and I said, so I did a DNA test and it says that Chris is not my birth father. And it says that some man by the last name of Grant is my birth father. And she goes, and she gave, I won't say his name. And she actually gave his first name. So I knew which brother it was. And, and she's like, well, how does that happen? I'm like, you know how this happens. <laughs> I shouldn't have to explain this to you. I know. And she goes, that can't be because... I counted the weeks and stuff and I'm like, well, you must have counted wrong. And so she was saying she was sorry. And she was actually also quite surprised. That's who it was. But to tell you the truth, after thinking I looked just like her all these years, when I was introduced to the Grant family, I even saw more of myself in that family. Really? And not only my looks, but also my personality. And that was even more of a surprise for me because I never knew how much of a personality you can carry on from one generation to another, but I'm pretty strong headed and my birth father is very strong headed and I have two half brothers on that side and a sister and my sister on that side is a very powerful realtor and, and she is really strong headed too, but it's how you use this strong-headedness is what matters. <laughs> like I said before, and you already know, with any reunion, there's always a honeymoon period where things are going well and all people are getting to know one another in their new reality. Lori's sister was excited to have a new sibling and her brothers were kind of indifferent to having another sibling in the family. 
but it was Lori's birth father, strong-headed, who began to present a challenge for Lori in reunion. My newfound father is very opinionated, and like I said, I'm a school teacher, and he has his take on public schools, which is negative, and he wants to share that with me. He is on the political spectrum. We are completely opposite, and that's hard, and I try not to talk politics with him when I'm with him, but he just wants to drill it and talk about it constantly, and I have decided to not have a relationship with him. Mm. It's just too much for me. I took him out to lunch probably right before school started up, and lunch did not go well. And I drove away from that, and I thought, I can't do this relationship at all. It's, it's too much. He just is so overpowering and so opinionated about so many things that I can't support. Mm -hmm. I can't support his thinking. I can't sit there and listen to things that he is saying. It's hurtful to me. I teach in a very low-income school. I choose to teach there for a reason, and I know that people struggle in life, and I can see that, how they struggle, and he cannot see that people struggle like that. He thinks that they're just lazy people and wants to talk about, he just wants to talk about people in a negative way that I just, I don't want to go along with that. So it's not going to be a relationship I can handle because he wants just to drill me on things about what schools are doing. And I take my work very seriously. And if you're not living my world as a teacher, you don't know what you're talking about. So yeah, I'm sorry. It's, it's all right. It's all right. I know who he is. I again, have a sister from him that I adore and, and he does not have a relationship with her either. I should have seen that red flag right from the start when I, when I visited with her and she, she holds back a lot. She actually didn't want to ruin a relationship with him and I, she stood back a bit to let me figure it out. Mm -hmm. And she was kind to do that, but she knows the kind of man he is. So I can't do it either. So, yeah. Is she a daughter that he raised? Yes. And it's quite sad. There's a big riff in the family. And instead of him trying to get to make it better, to bring his children together, he just feel, feeds off of the negative of what's happening between his children. And, mm -hmm. and I even asked him like, why, why won't you help? Why won't you help bring them back together? I, I don't understand it. Maybe he thinks he's being fatherly to, to me, but one evening we were over there, my son and his wife and my daughter and now her husband and my husband, we were all over at his house. We were invited over there for a barbecue. And my son is a very funny kid. He has always been that way. He's kind of loud. He's harmless. He actually, when I, through the years, when I've been stressed, he's just a funny kid. Well, that, well, that will always turn my mood around. I've really appreciated that about him. I love that. Well, my birth father didn't think he was so funny. Mm -hmm. So he looks at Doug and I, my husband and I, and says, did you raise this kid right? What's wrong with you? You know, he was right there in front of everybody, like, Okay, that's not going well. So mama bear, like I am, I'm like, I'm not bringing my family around here anymore. It, this relationship will just be between him and I, if I have one with him at all. You know, that was before I decided if I was going to have one with him or not. But months later, my son said, 
this might be your birth father and you might want a relationship with him, but that does not mean that I have to have a relationship with him. And just so you know, my grandfather is your adopted dad. That's who my grandfather is, just to be clear. I'm like, I get it. And you guys get to choose. You guys get to choose who you want a relationship with. You are an adult. Yes, you get to choose. So I have to remember that, yes, I am the one adopted. But when we have children, they also are kind of invested in this too. So I have to think, you know, they're looking from the outside in at all this that's going on. And not being adopted, they don't understand all of it either. My feelings, they don't quite understand it. But at the same time, they don't want to really be dragged into all this because they were raised with my adopted parents. So they see them as their grandparents. They don't see my birth mother as their grandmother and grandfather. They see their my adopted parents as their grandparents. And they and that's how they want. They come to me and they've talked to, to me about that. So I'm like, it is your choice. You're adults. Yes, you get to choose what you want to do. <laughs> yeah. So, There's in a moment when someone says something disparaging about your kid where the light switch turns off. Right. right. You're like, well, this is done. You know, you don't literally whatever comes after that, that thing that they just said about your kid, they're done. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, ideologically, you guys are different and you already sensed that this was coming between you. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the attack on the children, the attack on your parenting style, the attack on mm-hmm. your career and how you spend your time, you may, you know, be engaged religiously but just because you don't do it the way that he does like he sounds very judgmental oh yeah. it's like exactly. that's so hard to be around because it makes you feel like everything that you do is wrong and everything that they think they're doing is right and you know for a fact that that's not correct it's so crazy so i'm really sorry yeah, to hear just, that but wh- another thing that's positive about meeting him is maybe i don't have a relationship with him but he has wonderful siblings so his sisters have been nothing but so kind to me send they send me cards like welcome to the family another one come play pickleball with us i mean and they too have shared with me their struggles with my my biological father he burns so many relationships and that's just who he is but He also has some really, really nice siblings that I'm glad that I got to meet. And so I always look for the positive in that. Like I I have a new sister and she and I have so much in common too. And I'm so glad I have her in my life and some new aunts. So there's a lot of positive that's come out of finding who I am through this DNA, even though my birth father I won't be having a relationship with, I have others in that family that I will be continuing to have relationships with. That's that's really great. It's, it's always wonderful to hear that there's not just negative, right? That there's some silver lining. And I've heard this more than once, that it's not always about the person you were seeking. Sometimes it's the people in their orbit that make it worthwhile. You know, and that sounds like this is the kind of thing that you're living with your paternal family, which is great. I love that they're accepting it. That's that's just awesome. Yeah. 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 Lori, what a journey. Mm. Yes, we all have them. We all have a big, big long journey. But Mm -hmm. come 
come, I felt like I got to come home and it all circles around and I'm glad that I got to experience it all. And, and I'm really happy that my family and my husband and my children have supported me all along the way too. Yeah. It's been tough for them too. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And sometimes doing a podcast like this and letting them hear what you've felt can mm -hmm. be really illuminating for them. You know, you and I are going to talk about this in a way that's so open that they might not have known the questions to ask nor how to respond. It might mm -hmm. be helpful for them to hear this, but I'm glad they're supportive. And I know it's tough for the adoptive families. It's tough for your family that you've, you know, cultivated, but hopefully hearing these things from your own mouth will help them understand where you're coming from and, and you guys can come together on what adoption means to you and how you're navigating it. Exactly. Really cool. I appreciate everything that you're doing for the adoptee community too. It's, it's really helpful. I personally think that a lot of these podcasts are like counseling sessions for me. I get excited when there's a new podcast on an adoptee podcast on, and I get to listen to it all the way into work and it just calms me and know that we're not alone out there. And, and it helps adjust my thinking sometimes too, when I get so sad that, you know, that we're not alone and look at the bright side of things too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, I'm, I'm really glad you said that. I, I love this work. I really do. And I'm so grateful that it is so meaningful to people to hear the stories of others. I just, mm -hmm. I, I love it. And I'm really, really glad that this is meaningful to you. And now your story is meaningful to somebody else too. So thank <laughs> you for helping somebody else along their journey. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate all your time. Thanks, Lori. Take care. It was great to be with you this early morning. Have a great day. Yes, you too. All right. Take care. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, it's me. Lori's story has a lot of layers to it. She was the younger sister who wanted attention from her older sister, whose behavior exacerbated anxiety within Lori. Lori shared that when she was pregnant with her son, it was a catalytic moment of recognizing that she wanted to know more about herself. Her search put her in front of a judge who sat before her and reviewed her information but refused to share what he was seeing, metaphorically dangling it with temptation before her. In reunion, Lori found her birth mother was open and honest with every question Lori could ask, despite withholding the part of her story where she had placed a second daughter for adoption. It was interesting to hear that Lori's birth mother thought that Lori's birth father was one man when in fact her calculations were wrong and her birth father was someone else. And it must have been tough to go through her paternal reunion with positivity from her siblings and extended family while living the negative experience of being challenged by her strong-headed, overly opinionated birth father. However, I loved hearing that Lori appreciated the silver lining of her journey, discovering the love of the people around her birth father that have made her feel accepted and whole. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you found something in Lori's journey that inspires you validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I, really? If you would like to share your story of adoption and your attempt to find your biological family, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share.